greetings, my happy homesteading, homeschooling crew out there listening in. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is not your first time, welcome back. Um, today is episode number 27, which means for all you new folks out there, you can find the show notes at homesteadsandhomeschools.com slash 027. And if you've listened in for the other episodes and you couldn't remember, there it is for you now. My guest today is Mike Barnhouse of the Broken Shovel Farm. Uh, he and his wife have been homesteading for a number of years now. Um, started out kind of gardening, kind of expanding from there. And uh, I had a chance to, to talk with Mike and uh, find out what they do, find out how they, they move vegetables and, and produce, and uh, talked a little bit about one of Mike's hobbies, which is uh, roasting coffee. Something that I have never really considered before, but I find to be very interesting and something I may have to do myself. Um, we will see. Before we get into this, uh, too much further, if you heard some crickets in the background during this intro, that is because I am outside of my porch. So um, shoot me an email and let me know. Do you, do you like this? Can you tell? Or is it just obnoxious background noise that uh, makes it harder to understand? I don't know. Don't worry, the interview is not like this. Uh, so... Go back, re-listen to that intro. Let me know what you think. So, uh, let's put the crickets away. Let's go. Sow those Liberty Seeds with uh, Mike Barnhouse. St. Stephen with a rose In and out of the garden he goes Country garden in the wind and the rain Wherever he goes the people all complain Stephen Osborne in his time Well, he may and he may decline Did it matter, does it now? So today my guest is uh, Mike Barnhouse. He and his wife have a, a little homestead they got going on uh, called Broken Shovel Farm. And uh, they are in Joy, Illinois. Um, so Mike, thanks for uh, taking the time today to come on and, and uh, talk about your, your setup here. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. So, looking at your uh, your Facebook, it uh, it seems that gardening, at least gardening, has been um, kind of in your your blood for for some time now. Is this something you guys have been doing for a while? You got raised up in it, or how did that? How'd you guys get into the whole garden thing? Yeah, both of us both of us have been basically gardening since we were little. Um, our parents did. Um, my great my great grandpa always had a garden and uh, I helped him with that when I was a little and my grandpa did. So it's just been a part of our lives for a long time. Um, the year before we got married, um, we, we had a giant garden and that basically kept us in food for our first year of college. So that was nice. They got sick of green beans though. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know you get, you get going with a garden and, and you think about it before you get it in, you know, you think that oh, I'm going to have all this food. And you do have all this food, but it's like you have so much cabbage, you, you just get sick of cabbage by like week three of cabbage or zucchini, you know, it's just so yeah, yeah. But uh, it does, it'll, it'll feed you, it'll feed you. Now, did you guys, um, did you ever take a break? Because I feel like a lot, a lot of people that kind of get, get raised up having gardens and stuff, there's always a, you know, some sort of hiatus that in there that, uh, yeah, we did. We, we, when we, we went to school and, um, we kind of got distracted from, from all of that. Um, we ended up, um, both going, both going to school. Um, 
neither one of us got a chance to finish it because kids came along. So that kind of changed, changed the game a little bit. And then, you know, we just got busy with life and, and, um, bought our first house in joy and, um, lived in a really, it was a really nice house on a super small space, which I thought was awesome because I didn't have any grass to cut and hardly at all and that sort of thing. And, Robin started gardening with the kids just in a real small space to, um, more as a science project for home, for homeschool and that sort of thing. And, and, uh, um, things just changed over time and we kind of got back to where we kind of come back to where we, where we started and, uh, kind of where we wanted to be. We just got distracted from it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, um, uh, I think that was kind of the route my parents went, um, when I was a kid, they had a garden, you know, when I was younger and made some baby food and stuff like that. And then as the kids, guys, me and my brother got older, we kind of, you know, there's other activities, there's other things going on. There's all those distractions. And now that we're out of the, out of the house and the, the grandkids are around, I think they, they've started to put a few things in the ground, not, not what they had at any one point in time, but you know, um, but it is the, the kids come around and, and throws you for a loop, you know? Definitely. So you guys, you incorporated that into, I, I guess, homeschooling a little bit. That, that was kind of yeah, yeah. It was just a, um, you know, when, when, um, especially when they're little, um, it's in, it's important for them to know how food, where their food comes from. You know, it doesn't just come out of the grocery store. And and you know, it's a way to get them to try things too. Uh, I remember Sam, um, our youngest, um, he was so excited to to try these Brussels sprouts. I mean, he was going to eat these Brussels sprouts. It was going to be awesome. And, and, you know, he was probably, I don't remember two or three, he was still pretty little. He could say frouts. I think that's what he's called them. He was all excited about eating them. And Robin took real good care of them. And they were great. And he finally got a chance to taste them. And he looked at his mom and he's this funny look on his place face and like yuck. And he, then he took another bite trying it, thinking, Oh, it's gotta be, he hated it. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, it's uh it's tough, you know, the little kids they, they want to do it and then they, they have it and there's just what what is this? What what are you feeding me? This why did I spend right. all this time doing that, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So h- how long have you guys had your your gardens back in and, and expanding? Um, well when when we first bought when we first bought this place, uh, it was an acre of ground and, and uh the second year we started a we started a garden, um, basically just to, to feed us and give us, um, um, take care of the things that we wanted. Robin cans food for the winter and tomatoes and things like that. And, uh, um, so we started then and then it just kind of grew and got a little bigger. And um, each year we added a little bit more, some more fruit trees or different things like that. And, and at some point in time, we just decided that, you know, I worked inside um, um, in a factory for most of my life. And then kind of like being outside more than inside. And at some point in time, I want to be able to do that work outside. So this is just kind of a natural, um, a natural transition. We grow a lot of stuff for ourselves. So we thought we could grow some for some other people too. So good deal. Did, did you say you were on an acre? Yeah. When we started, we were on an acre. Okay. And that's, and you're still in that same location now? Yep, yep, still in the same corner. But um, um, last year we were able to buy um, ten acres that were um, attached to this property. So now we're our own neighbors. So that's nice. Nice, yeah. So how does that 
when when you were just on one acre, um, it was just gardens. Did you guys have any like chickens or, or anything like that? Any any small livestock type stuff, or was it just a, a garden pretty much? Yeah, we've had we've had chickens um, since the the second year that we moved here, uh, and they we we do a few meat chickens each year. Mostly they're just for eggs, um, and uh, we've had some ducks, and we have a couple of geese, and and uh, um, we have um, some Romanoff sheep now too. So um, they're a lot of fun. Did you get the sheep before or after you uh, expanded? We got them. We got them the year before we expanded. Um, because my daughter had bought a, my daughter had bought a, a small farm about seven miles from us, and uh, our plan was to take them over there once they got numerous. But um, we were able to buy this, and now we can keep them here, so it's kind of cool. Nice, nice. So, when you when you were on that acre, um, how much food were you guys able to produce um, to to kind of sustain you? Um, lots. Um, you can do. You can do. You can do. Um, you can do a lot of food on an acre of ground. Um, it's and, uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, books that we use as one of our reference guides is uh, uh, it's called the Market Gardener, and uh, it's a um, French Canadian couple that um, they uh, they raise. Um, I don't know. I think their farms. Uh, uh, two acres of, of raised beds that they have. And uh, um, I just saw, saw some statistics here recently. Um, one of their recent years, um, they made over $150,000 on that two acres of ground. And that's in Canada with a Canadian growing season. So um, it's doable. It's just an extreme amount of work. Um, you know, There's no getting in your tractor and driving all day long. It's pulling weeds all day long or you know, bending over and raking and then a lot of stuff that some people just don't want to do. So it's a different, different kind of deal, but you can, you can grow a lot of food on an acre. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, we're, we're trying, I'm trying to figure it out a little bit more. We're kind of a little bit more spread out, you know? Um, and I know we could, I, I don't know if plant smarter is the right word, but, um, you know, kind of pack things in right and go a little more vertical. Um, but, you know, right now we're, we're not hurting for, for space or, you know, so, but it's, uh, it is one of those interesting things here. It really, I, I'm so, I'm always so impressed when, when I hear people on, you know, smaller acres like that are, are able to produce the quantities that they do. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. So did you guys do much grocery shopping then, or is it kind of, um, one of Robin's goals is to never shop again. That was one of her, one of her <laughs> main goals is never have to go to the grocery store again. Like, and that's not going to happen obviously. Cause uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta get, um, oil and you gotta get salt and all those kind of things. But, um, our shopping is, is, um, curtailed quite a bit. Um, we still buy meat and dairy and that sort of thing at the grocery store, but, um, we very rarely buy anything that's, already made we're mostly just ingredient people so you don't make the grocery store people too happy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know yeah. so um is one, one of the other things i i know you guys do you kind of get into you're into coffee a little bit um what what exactly do you guys do with that how how do you what's your what's your coffee setup i guess well um when we first started off, um, you know, my, my favorite coffee is a, a 
Americano at Starbucks. Um, always fresh, always perfect. And um, it's also cheap compared to other Starbucks drinks. So, but, um, you know, when, when we, we drink a lot of coffee and that's, that's kind of why we started that. Cause you know, 10 or 12 bucks a pound for Starbucks, I thought, well, maybe I could do better or, you know, at least get something that was, um, that we could tolerate that we'd save a little bit of money and, and uh, learn a new skill or something like that. So that's kind of how we started. Um, um, and it's also, we also kind of did it, um, as a, uh, prepper project too, you know, the, um, the beans in the green form last a really long time. They did have a really long shelf life. So, um, until you roast them and then they, they'll deteriorate a little quicker. Um, but you know, they last a long time. So I thought, well, it's kind of a, a good blend of everything. I can, I can keep coffee here, take care of us and, you know, everything goes in the crapper. I'll have green gold and in, in buckets. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where where do you um where do you get it from? Do you have it shipped in? I, I imagine. And... Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, when we first started, we found a little company in in Wisconsin called You Roast Them, um, and they they sell um, I think they sell one five or twenty five pound packages of green coffees, and they get them in from all over the world. And it was a good place for us to start and try different try different ones and. Um, um, and so that was good. And then um, we started roasting in a, well, the first, the first roasting I did was in a skillet on the stove. And I wouldn't recommend that because <laughs> it's a smoky project. Robin's like, take it outside. <laughs> she wasn't too happy with me. So um, then we, we, we graduated from the skillet to a whirly popper, a popcorn popper, which does an excellent job on a small batch, actually. You can really control you can control what you're doing and, and um, once you do it a couple of times, you can make an excellent, an excellent um, pound, basically about a or half a pound. I'm sorry, uh, half a pound of coffee and, and pretty quick um, with a whirly popper. So we did that for a little while. And then um, um, the first year Robin started farmer's marketing in Alito, um, we didn't have very much at the beginning of the season because we hadn't put any up our um, cold houses yet or any of that sort of thing. So, um, she's like, why don't you make some coffee and we'll see if we can sell it. And then people really liked it. So that's kind of how we got going doing it. So now we, now we roast five pound batches, um, there, um, and it's still outside. One of these days I'm going to build me a, a building to, um, roast indoors of, of some sort, not completely inside, but, um, now I've just got a, a canopy that I put up if it's raining or something like that. Um, but, um, yeah, it's an outside project because it's super smoky, and the darker you make the coffee, the more smoke you get. So, did you do a lot of reading or studying up beforehand, or was this kind of like a let's uh, let's just give it a go and see how it works? I mean, um, a lot of YouTube um, and some reading, and then um, uh, um, uh, you some webs you roastings websites got some good info on there too um, about what to do and. Um, different ways to do it and uh, but yeah there's the internet's loaded down with um, great people out there that that really know what they're doing a lot more than I do I'm just a hack but um, it's impressive that's that's neat so you you um, sell that on the internet and at, at farmers markets then yeah yeah we have we sell it uh, um, online we have a store um, our 
one of our kids said, why don't you guys put it on, make a store and put it on the internet? I'm like, okay. We kind of mostly, we kind of mostly did it just so that, you know, cause farmer's market lasts for a certain period of time during the year. And then we have people that were wanting to buy it uh, the rest of the year. So we thought, well, would it be an avenue for people to get it? Uh, we also have it in some local stores around and uh, that's helped out a bunch with our sales too. But um, um, just, Basically, once once you get somebody started, you know you can't. It's not like you're going to stop and start every six months. People don't stop drinking coffee in the winter. Actually, they drink more of it in the winter. So, yeah. at least me anyway. How is that getting um, getting it into the stores? Did you have to? Uh, was it just a conversation between you and the the store owner? Was there any sort of like certification, or somebody has to come by and, and check out your uh, your roasting? No, nothing like that. Nothing like that yet, anyway. But we, the places that we're going are all small, and and uh, they're either like farmers market friends or um, people that were already buying it or that sort of thing. So um, pretty small yet. We haven't had any. We haven't had any bigger things yet. Um, At some point in time, we may go down that road, but hopefully by then I'll have a a roasting facility that's not under a tent. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well you got the space now you know it's just a, right just one more one more project right just, just right just what i need <laughs> <laughs> yeah I t- it's it's uh it's a never-ending process you know there's always one project that needs to get done and you think you're caught up and then the uh the stairs on the deck start rotting out you know and well yeah never never ends but so what else what else do you guys sell at the the farmer's market then um, just, just kind of surplus produce, or um, yep, Dif- just different kind of produce. We, we've, uh, um, we've been working on that too. Um, there's a, uh, our, uh, we do a, a winter garden, um, and that's that's probably our biggest. That's probably the biggest part of our um, our profits going to be built into that winter gardening. Um, one, there's hardly if any competition except for the grocery store and so and then um, no weeds most of the grasses and that sort of thing don't grow when it's cold so you don't have any of that competition and there's no bugs which is nice and uh, you know gardening in your coveralls might seem a little bit weird but it's actually pretty nice i kind of like it so when you say winter garden um what what months do you are you able to to keep it going all winter um, we, um, we're, we're probably going to do, um, uh, a shutdown like that starts, um, the first of the year, the first of January, and we'll probably shut down until the, the first of February. And it's all kind of, it's all kind of dependent on the light. Um, it's more sunlight than temperature. So once you get down to a certain amount of hours of sunlight, basically everything quits growing. It won't grow hardly at all. So, um, but it'll stay alive. Um, we had we had spinach inside uh, uh, the cold house and actually outside with just a row cover of over it um, that lived all the way through the winter. And uh, we cut spinach. We cut spinach and and delivered it um, a good portion of the winter this year. So that was our this was our first experiment um, on a bigger scale, um, and it worked really good. Spinach is an amazing plant. Yeah, it's uh, it's hardy stuff. Hardy stuff. It's not not a big fan of the heat down here. I'm in Georgia, and it kind of you know 
peters out early, but you know, it, it is, and I, I was never like into the winter gardening too much uh, up north. We always kind of thought about putting in a, a hoop house or a greenhouse, trying to get that going. We never, never did, but um, yeah, when when things you know they do, they slow down in the winter, and sometimes things stop growing in the winter. But they're in the ground, and as soon as it thaws, as soon as that sun rolls around, they're going and they're growing and they're ready to pop. And it's it's really impressive um, how much bigger things are that, that have overwintered, and then compared to things that you plant as soon as you can work the ground. Um, you know, we did that this past year with um, some broccoli and stuff, and just it was it's amazing. But. Yeah, it's awesome, and it, it, it's a, it's another thing too. You know, in the middle of in the middle of July, everybody's got sweet corn, and everybody's got this stuff, and they've got that stuff. So it's a it's a big competition thing too at that point in time. But uh, you know, when you're talking the second week of February, uh, nobody's really got too much of nothing. So now, where you so you guys have a, a winter farmers market. Where you are? Um, what what we we started off with it. We called it a winter CSA, and nobody around here really knows what knew what that was. So um, one of our friends, Kayla, um, decided that a co-op would be a better way to describe it, and and it's worked out actually pretty good. So we have a um, we plan on eventually um, having some of our other farmers market friends be able to. Um, put some things in there too, things that they've got um, available. So, um, and then just a uh, email list basically that goes out once a week um, with what we've got and uh, um, um, people can order it that way. And we, when we first started, we were just going to do that through the winter and then just do farmer's market over the summer. And, and we thought about it a little bit more, you know, one of the things that's really nice about this co-op thing is people can, um, we kind of know what we need to take to farmer's market. Um, we can have people's stuff already packed up and their stuff sitting off to the side, and they can just come and get their stuff from us and get whatever they want from everybody else. And, and uh, um, it helps us a bunch, and it, it keeps them from missing out on, you know, oh, you don't have any green beans left or something like that. If they order them beforehand, then, yeah. So it, it's actually pretty pretty neat. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a... Uh... An interesting method. Um, sort of almost like a hybrid between sort of the the CSA and the just going to the farmers market. Um, right, right. It's, kinda, and, and it's, a, it's a neat. It it lets people it lets people pick what they want to. So you don't get a, a five pounds of Brussels sprouts in a box and go. I don't even like Brussels sprouts, kind of a thing. So <laughs> we uh, we did a C. We were part of a CSA uh, in Vermont, like. We lived up there, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago. You know, the, the winter CSA was always nice. You always had some fresh stuff. But uh, I think come January, February, it was just, it was like cabbage and rutabagas. And it was just <laughs> no thanks. Like, and I tell you, know, I was laughing with my grandmother about it. And she was telling me all these great ways to cook a rutabaga. And I tried them and, I, and none of them, none of them were sufficient for cooking rutabaga. That is a, a vegetable I will never grow. We don't grow any of those either. We, we, we grow what we like and we kind of made that, we kind of made that a, a thing. We grow the things that we eat and that way nobody buys it. It's okay. We still have plenty of stuff. We have plenty for us. So, How does that go? Um, you know, figuring out uh, how much food you can take to the farmer's market 
um, compared to how much you need to keep and, and either process down and, and can and preserve or keep in the fridge for the next week so you can eat fresh food. How does that go? It's tricky. Um, I tell you, there's that part of the planning is probably the most um, it's the most difficult because um, the time that you have to do that planning is, you know, over the winter, it's slower and, you know, you can sit down and have your spreadsheets all ready to go and all that stuff. And I got to plant this stuff this week and I got to plant this stuff this week and, and it rains every week and you don't get to have it planted. And it's, it's difficult. Um, it's really, it's, that's probably the most challenging part of the whole thing really. Um, and then as far as how much to take to the farmer's market, that's tough too. Cause you know, um, they're really cyclical people, um, you know, a really beautiful sunny day and you think, Oh man, everybody's going to be here. And then, you know, the fairs going on that week or whatever else. And uh, people have gone to that. And so trying to figure out how much to take is impossible sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's kind of, I don't know. I, I can imagine that would be difficult. We're, was we're trying to trying to figure it out um, kind of for the next, you know, a year from now or two years from now doing, doing a CSA and how much do I need to plant so that I can have enough for me. And then I need to, how much more do I, I have to plan on top of that and trying to figure it all out is, it's tricky. And, and it's one of those things I, I don't think you can figure it out, you know, until you have a couple of years behind you. And even then, like you said, you know, it, you're ready to plant and then it rains or, you know, down here for the last, I don't know, two weeks, it's been upper nineties and no rain. And I mean, like, unless you have an irrigation system, I, you know, you drive down the road and there are fields of corn that are, you know, waist height, breast height, and they're just shriveled up and dying because these, the, you know, their farmers don't have an irrigation system set up. You know, they're not that big, you know, and what do you, you know, you, you get stuck when, when stuff like that happens. Um, do you, what are your, your plans for expansion then? Is it, is it, are you guys looking at a big field that you're going to till up? Is it wooded type stuff that you're going to have to take care of? Or what are your, what are your plans for the next year as you look at it expanding? Well, we, we, we added last year from our original garden, we added a, a, a 200 by 60 garden. Um, one bed and this year we added another 200 by 60 and the the ground is the ground that we're putting it into is all farm ground it's been corn and beans for the last uh, since i've ever been around here so um, the last 40 or 50 years it's been corn and beans so um but uh, so it's no woods or anything like that on it but um, we planted we planted pasture grass on all the rest of it this year. So, um, our sheep will have something to eat and we don't have to buy hay anymore. That'll be awesome. <laughs> or at least for the whole year, we won't have to buy hay, but, uh, and then, then we planted, uh, uh, uh extended our orchard to, um, our orchard before was kind of random trees where we could shove them. Um, and this is a, this is a more planned out, um, half an acre orchard, apples and peaches, so that'll, that's a retirement project, I hope. That'll be something that we can um, fund part of our retirement with. Yeah, yeah, trees are tough like that, you know. They put all that money in now and plant them now, and it's going to be a few years before you, you see anything back from them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, do, are you, do you guys, um, are, are you like, do you do organic type stuff, or you kind of use more of the, go the 
conventional route or um we we're not we we talked about it a couple different times doing the certification because we we want to be as organic as we can be but um, um we have we have a certain group of bugs here that um, the japanese beetles um are um the worst um there you just can't you can't plan enough of anything to keep them from eating everything if they decide to show up. So, um, there's gotta be some spray for that. And then, um, um, then certain crops that you grow, um, coal crops, um, cabbage worms and that kind of thing. They're, they're difficult. So we use it. We, we try to just only spray organic sprays and we've been experimenting with those and found some that are actually really good. They do a really good job. So, pretty happy about that that's basically why we planted the orchard this year if we wouldn't have been able to find some of those things we just wouldn't have bothered planting it because you know um, apple trees and peach trees um, are the third thing on the list for the beetles first is grapes second is the apricots or the um, um, plums they tear those trees up and then they go to the apples and then they go to the peaches so yeah i remember as a kid they were all over my my parents had some grapevines in the in the backyard and my brother and I would just go out and pick them off and put them in like I don't know sour cream containers full of god knows what chemicals we used to combine but you know. <laughs> yeah yeah they're miserable things to deal with and and you know once they show up they're there for basically a month and mm-hmm. um, if you don't do something with them they'll just defoliate your trees there will they'll be there won't be any leaves left on them how does it so how does that work with the the new pasture land there and the new the new land are you guys kind of i don't know are you any concerns about how it was farmed beforehand or are you trying to build the soil up at all or just kind of gonna work with what you got and and go forward with it or yeah um i think the i think when you when you go from conventional farming to a organic farm, it takes at least three years or something like that. I can't remember exactly the numbers, but it's a certain certain number of years before you could even apply to certify get certified for it. So um, last last year we had um, just one of our um, local farmers plant um, plant beans in that area again. Um, just so we wouldn't have to deal with the weeds and all that sort of thing. So we carved a chunk of that ground out and put that first garden in and then um, just let them farm that um, and uh, use the money that they paid us for rent um, to buy, put up the fence for the sheep. So that worked out pretty good. And uh, um, so, yeah, it's just a matter of time. It's just going to take a little t- time to get that to um heal itself back up but it is what it is and just gotta wait it out and try to help as best you can if you if that's your if that's what you decide to do you know i mean there's some people that don't decide to do that and whatever whatever works for you um you know and your 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 ethic but um so what do you uh is your is your little homestead there self-sustaining when it comes to uh like finances are you guys able to move enough product that you can kind of sustain yourselves or do you well um not yet um right now um especially after buying buying the farm um before we bought that we were basically debt free so um i think that's that's a that's as big a piece of um um that's as big a piece of um the profitability of the project whatever you want to do as anything else is 
you know, trying to get your expenses down to a real minimum. So you don't need quite as much. That helps a lot. But um, right now, um, my, my job in town takes care of um, paying for most of the stuff. And, and uh, uh, we, we did um, twice as much. We sold twice as much last year as we did the year before. I don't know if we'll do that well this year. We will double again this year. Um, we might, we're, we're doing a, a couple extra farmers markets that we hadn't done before and uh, the co-op is going really good. So we'll see, but we're still a few years away from it being able to, to sustain itself. But kind of what we're hoping is by the time I get ready to retire, that, um, that'll be a good supplement to our retirement income. Um, and the work keeps, keep us from, keep us from getting too decrepit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, there's something to that. There's something to, to being keeping yourself active like that. I think. You oh know? boy! You see some older folks out there that you find out how old they are. You're like, really? You know? But they they do. They stay active. So yep. hopefully, hopefully, yep. I can something I can pay attention to as I get older. But <laughs> so um, yeah. So I, I'm kind of curious because you you work nights then, right? Is that right? Yep. So how does that work? when it comes time to gardens and, and planting stuff and harvesting things and getting to farmer's markets and, and all that stuff, is that, do you, do you keep a, a schedule like a, a night schedule like that? Or do you kind of flip flop back and forth? Are you, I work, um, I work three days a week, three 12 hour days, uh, Saturday, Sunday or sat, Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. So, um, when I get home on Monday morning, I usually sleep for, it, it depends. In the summertime, I have a hard time sleeping when it's nice outside. So um, maybe two or three hours on Monday morning, and then I'll be up until bedtime and then just do a normal week. So on Tuesday, I'll probably be up at six in the morning and then go till 10 at night or whatever and do that through the week. And then Thursday night, I usually try to stay up a little bit extra late so I can sleep later on Friday morning. But Friday Fridays at work suck. By the time five o'clock in the morning rolls around, I'm tired and ready to go home. So I sleep basically all day Saturday until it's time to go back to work. And then um, Sunday, come home, sleep for two hours, get up, go to church, come home, sleep for three more hours, and then do Sunday night. So it's a ridiculous schedule, but... Um, that's part of the, that's part of the deal too. You know, at, at some point in time, I'm not going to be able to physically do that anymore. So it's a lot harder now than it was 10 years ago when I started it. So um, one of these days, I'm going <laughs> it's an impressive schedule. Not, not going to lie. That's impressive. And uh, to, to get up for off two hours of sleep, go to church and stay awake and then uh, come home and sleep some more. That's, it's impressive. That is impressive. <laughs> <laughs> With the uh, with the homeschooling bit, um, did you guys homeschool all the way through? Um, John and Heather went to um, John. Um, he's our oldest. Um, he went to second grade in public school um, in Iowa City while Robin was still in school over there. Um, and uh, Heather started kindergarten, and then the next year um, we put him into a small Christian school while Robin was still going to school. And then um, once we came back home to Illinois. Um, um, John and Heather went, I think, to, I think John went to fourth grade and Heather might have went to second grade for that year, for the rest of that year. And then 
um, Robin decided after that that she wanted to keep them home. So um, our first two, most of their career was um, at home and our last two, um, all of theirs were. So Robin's been at that for a long time. She, I think, happy and sad to be done with it, of both. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can imagine. It's uh, my, my kids are, the oldest one is nine, but, you know, you see the stages come and go and glad to be out of some things and sad to be out of them at the same time, you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, when people ask us about homeschooling, I, I you know, it's, I don't know if there's any better investment that you can make. That's just my opinion on the whole thing. Um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a huge investment in um, time and money, um, you know, lack of money. Um, yeah. with, wrote that and wrote that in our website, you know, R- Rachel came along. She was a surprise. Robin was uh, in her um, finishing up her junior year of engineering school at Iowa. And uh, Rachel came along a big surprise. And uh, um, there went my bass boat. There went my, yeah. you know, there went my sugar, sugar mom wanting to buy me cool stuff like a new bass boat yeah. and stuff like that with her big engineer job. And more of that. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh yeah it, it is though you know i mean that's i don't know it, it's one of those things you know you can it's an investment in your in your children and uh what more what more investment can you can you make you know what bigger investment can you make yeah um, you really can't i don't i don't think you can it's 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 an awesome thing and it's 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 neat to it's neat to see it on the from the backside too, from being done with it, you know, the kids, our kids all enjoy each other. I mean, they, they still spend time together all the time. You know, John's in his early thirties and Sam is, um, um, I think he's going to be 21 this year. And, and they, they spend most of their free time together just doing stuff. And, uh, it's, it's fun to watch. It's fun to see them all together. That's cool. Did you, when you guys were, making that decision was, was part, I mean, I don't know. Cause I, you know, the homesteading kind of homeschooling and, and keeping it all kind of home centered there. Um, was that something you guys kind of did on purpose or was it just, you know, the same sort of feelings that, you know, the same reason that you want to be able to grow your own food, you kind of wanted to, you know, teach your kids at the same time or. No, it didn't, it didn't really work out that way. Um, for us, we were still, I still had a, um, um, a different kind of job than I have now. Um, I was a, gone traveling quite a bit and, and that sort of thing. And we had a big mortgage and a, and a really nice house in town and that sort of thing. And it, 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 it was a good life. It wasn't bad, but, um, it was just different. And, um, the homeschooling came because Robin, you know, she got done done going to school herself and she's sitting around the house going, oh, what am I going to do? What, what do you want me to do? I got these babies to take care of and they're not going to daycare. We did that for a little while and we're not doing that anymore. So she was trying to figure out what, you know, she needed to be doing. And so that's how that came about. And then, you know, my jobs um, were basically a, I needed a job that gave us a two income job. You know what I mean? Um, compared to compared to our friends who, you know, um, decided to go a different way and, and, uh, you know, they didn't need, 
they didn't need the, as much money or, you know, that sort of thing. So I worked a lot. And, uh, um, when we, when we decided to move out of town and move out here, that was a kind of a, um, it was a, that was a decision that we made that we wanted to be able to slow down a little bit and not have to run quite so hard because we were going like crazy in town and, and, uh, um, that wasn't healthy either. Yeah, no, that's, uh, something my wife and I talk about frequently, you know, um, how, how, how can we slow things down? You know, you don't want to deprive your kids of, of different outlets, you know, Sure, but at the same time, like you know, going here and there and here and there and back to here, it's just that's that's not good either, you know. Um, so trying to find that balance is is tricky when they're they're younger, you know. Yeah, it, it doesn't get any easier when they get a little older. I mean, it's you know, uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I I appreciate your time. Um, I was uh little conversation there it's a pretty unique setup i I like that it's um i don't know i like that that hybrid kind of co-op csa type thing so yeah Um, but yeah thanks uh coming on and and sharing is there if somebody wants to uh order some of your your coffee or uh if they're in the area and they want to find some of of what you're you're selling there at the farmer's market where, where, where might they find that um we have uh, we do a uh, farmers market in Alito, um, one in uh, East Moline, Illinois. Uh, we do one on Saturday morning in Muscatine, Iowa, and another one on Thursday uh, uh, Thursday afternoons in Bettendorf, Iowa. We're we're right on the border of um, Illinois and Iowa, so uh, that's that's part of the reason that that we have both. So, but our bigger cities to the to the north and west or across the river. So, so that's kind of how we go there. And then is where we're in a pretty small community. I think there's less than 20,000 people in our County. So, um, so, but to the north and to the west of us, there's uh, bigger cities. So that's, that's where most of our stuff goes to, but um, there's that. And then we have uh, uh, um, our website, available for broken shovel coffee um you can just google that and find it um and uh that's that's how we do it all right all right i will i'll put the the links there to the the coffee and in the show notes so if anybody wants to find some of your coffee that's where they will find the link um yep one of these one of these days daniel's gonna come and do a video wanted to do it a while back and i'm like man i don't know dude outside it's kind of weird <laughs> so at some point it's, in time we'll maybe fun, be able to put some kind of actually show people how it's done because it's fun it's a fun it's a fun um hobby really i think it's a good hobby um doesn't cost much to do it to start it and uh um, something fun you can do for yourself it sounds it sounds really interesting um it sounds very uh I don't know, one of those things like a really fun hobby, you know, where it's just kind of, you're not, you're not just, um, spending money on a bass boat flying up and down the river. You're, uh, you know, yeah, you're doing something that's, uh, you're, I don't know, yeah. meeting a when, need, meeting a personal yeah. need. And then when the hobby turns into a business, then you can start deducting your receipts at Starbucks for, for uh, quality control and <laughs> market research. <laughs> I like that. That's, right. that's, that's a good method. I like that. 
Do you love freedom? Do you love songs? Do you want to love all 365 days in a year? If you're anything like me, the simple answer is yes. And Freedom Song 365 can deliver all of these things. When you sign up for Freedom Song 365, you will receive an email every day that delves into the different ways freedom and liberty are messaged in a massive catalog of music. Each message is carefully crafted into easily consumable paragraphs that give you the necessary information to share with your friends. I've been receiving Freedom Song 365 emails every day of 2019, and I've yet to be disappointed. But really, why should I be? With the fabulous minds of Nikki P. from the Sounds Like Liberty podcast, my guest from episode 4, Sherry Voluntary, and the wonderful Luke Tatum of the Culture of Peace podcast, there's more brain power utilized in the creation of each individual Freedom Song 365 email than is proffered in a whole day at any DMV across the country. Head on over to freedomsong365.com and sign up today to start receiving your daily emails of musical integrity. Use the promo code HOMESTEAD and you'll receive 15% off the superb service. Again, that's freedomsong365.com, promo code HOMESTEAD for 15% off. Now, don't you want to go roast some coffee? Go get some beans, roast some coffee, put some plants in the ground and, and go sell them at the farmer's market? Uh, I, I love talking to people. It's uh, it's inspiring, and there's so many different different techniques and different ways to do things out there. And uh, it's really it's really been great being able to to talk to people and, and get that all in my head. Um, if you've been enjoying the show, please go out and share it with a friend, um, share it with a family member, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. I guess. Um, Big shout out to everyone that has done that and to the folks that support me on Patreon. Uh, that's, that's huge guys. Thank you. And if you would like to support the show, um, as well, you can do that on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Liberty Hippie. This is all for today. Trying to keep it short, shorter. Yeah. Go, go join the, the Facebook group, the Homestead at Homeschool Forum. Uh, it's growing slowly. It's growing, but, uh, you know, poke your face in there and, and, who knows what you might find. And uh, feel free to reach out to me at homesteadsandhomeschools at gmail.com. You know, give me some feedback, uh, any guest ideas, anything you'd like to, to see or hear. Um, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm, I'm willing to listen. In fact, that is how I came across Mike, Dan, Dan Schmatz over at uh, Goulash Media, the guy that makes the little, made the little homesteads and homeschools icon. Uh, he, he pointed me in Mike's direction. So uh, thank you for that, Dan. So without further ado, get out there. So those seeds of liberty, we can all reap seeds of freedom together. I'm gonna write us his dream. I'm gonna write us his dream.